Good evening, Grace. Praise Jesus. I'm glad you came tonight. Uh, Happy to be here myself. Let's take a moment and uh, meet with our Savior. Lord, indeed, we come to you because you are the sovereign God who loves us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray that you would meet with us tonight. Lord, that you would remove the things that would distract us from your word and you would help us to hear and listen and allow your Holy Spirit to change our hearts so that we will be the men and women of God that you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, so that we indeed will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I was 11 years old when I joined Boy Scout Troop 328. That very next summer, my dad and I and eight or so other guys decided to walk 50 miles from one side of the Sierras and then up and over and drop down into the uh, Yosemite Valley. So I was getting my gear ready. I was in my bedroom putting all my stuff together, and I lifted my backpack, and I just about broke my back. It weighed 75 pounds, and that was without a full water bottle. Now, unfortunately, that was uh, the year I was 14. I don't have a picture of when I was 12 years old on that particular hike, but it gives you an idea. But I want you to notice something. Right there, you see a green strip. I don't know how clearly you could see it. That is a webbed chair that I carried with me on all of my long terms. Because let me tell you, after you've walked 10 miles in a day, you want to sit on something soft. Over the next days, we got a little weight out of my backpack, and I learned a very important lesson. Carry just enough. Don't carry too much. Carry just enough. At the time, this was the greatest adventure I had ever attempted. Crossing glaciers, braving streams and badgers and bears, eating trout for dinner, and eating the nastiest thing since canned peas. Freeze-dried ice cream. You know, Jesus invites all of us on an adventure, and he asks us to walk with him. Follow me, he calls out to each one of us, and he leads us on an undreamed of adventure for a lifetime. And he gives us also the same advice I learned all those years ago with this giant blue backpack. Carry just enough, not too much. In these next six weeks, I will seek to answer the question, what questions ought a Christian to ask or what principles ought a Christian to consider when we are deciding how we should spend our leisure time, our time that we're not at work trying to earn a buck, we're not at home trying to get all of our chores done, and we're not in bed. We have this amount of time outside of these other three activities that we can truly call our own. This is our leisure time. This is the time that we have to spend to make a difference in our life. Now, unfortunately, the the luxuries most American Christians carry do not stop at small webbed chairs so that we can have a much needed high altitude rest. Instead, 
we carry a heart confused by chasing after things, all kinds of things that ultimately don't matter at all. Anybody with me on that? You know what I'm talking about? We end up spending so much of our mental and spiritual and even physical energy worried about things that don't matter. Tonight, I want to convince us that the most important principle in making these decisions on how we spend our leisure time considers, concerns what you value, what you treasure, the things that you think about, the things that you dream about, the things that you long for will either weigh you down or they will lift you up. And when you and I choose this week how we will invest this time, not our labor, not our work, not our sleep, but our leisure time, when we consider what we should do, I want you to take from this sermon um, a truth that will enable you to live what Jesus is talking about. You can give rest for your soul. You can dump a lot of stuff off your shoulders and you will be free to choose what is truly valuable. The first is train yourself to value the good news and Him who gave it. And the second, train yourself to devalue things that just can't last. Now, I think I'm in fairly good company in making these points because one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century said something similar. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the great fact of which you and I must never lose sight is that in this life, we are but pilgrims. Pilgrims and refugees, you see, don't have the luxury of carrying too much stuff. They can only bring with them what they can carry on their own back. Now fortunately, for you and me, we have a God who can make what we can carry enough. Jesus' teaching, don't miss this, if you miss everything else I say, Jesus' teaching is intensely practical. Jesus is not talking about pie in the sky. Jesus isn't talking about some ethereal ideas that, oh, might be nice to listen to. Jesus is getting into your mail, into my mail, and is saying, this is how you can live in this life. Jesus is the wisest, the most intelligent person in the universe and is the only person in the universe who is able to, capable of guiding you through this life and into the next. Our first point we're going to get to as we read our passage tonight is we need to value what we can value forever. Let's read our passage it's in Matthew chapter 6, 19-24. Not all the verses are going to pop up, but just the first two. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Our first point is value what you can value forever. Jesus says in verses 19 and 20, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says in these two verses, He says, Look, don't chase after things that will inevitably weigh you down. Much more than a 75-pound backpack. Don't run after things that when you die will be absolutely useless to you. But you have to understand that Jesus gets at something much deeper than rust and moths and thieves in these verses. He gets at what is in your heart that cannot make it past the undertaker. If you hang around Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches enough, you're going to hear an important word, and that is orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is believing the right things about God, believing the right things about yourself, believing the right things about the world around you. And if you stay in churches long enough, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches, you will also get this idea of orthopraxy. And orthopraxy is acting in the right ways given the orthodox beliefs that you hold. But Jesus is concerned in this passage with a heart that values things that become literally nothing. Jesus is concerned that your heart and mine is treasuring things that moths and rust can destroy. These things will disappear before your eyes or your eyes will value them less and less till they sicken you. Jesus wants His disciples to develop orthopathy. Now I know I'm using some big words here, but stay with me. Orthopathy, or having right values, means you value or you esteem things as they should be. And I like how one author put it, you're hating the things that you should hate, and you're loving the things that you should love. One thing that strikes me is in the Super Bowl, if you watched any of the Super Bowl, every single commercial that was played was trying to get you to love the things that you should hate or hate the things that you should love. That, that's what Fifth Avenue, what, what is it, uh, Madison Avenue wants you to get. They want you to love the things that moth and rust and thieves can destroy. And they want you to hate the things that really will last. This idea of hating the things that you should hate and loving the things that you should love is much more valuable, is much more important than I think you understand right now. 
And I'll give one example. I know it's one that we pick on a lot, but this idea of pornography. If you want to overcome pornography or, or any kind of addiction that you may have, put your own word in there. If you set all kinds of rules, if you decide to put all kinds of things in the way so that you can't get at this, you'll ignore the rules. You'll find ways of getting around whatever you put in the place because that's what a wicked heart does. We are amazing at coming to ways around ourselves and around our own laws. Do you want to overcome porn? Do you want to overcome coveting? Do you want to overcome a heart that longs to gossip? Look at Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Value the things that Jesus values. Hate the things that Jesus hates. Don't give yourself a bunch of do's and don'ts because these, Paul tells us in Colossians 2.23, these external rules are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now don't misunderstand me. There is a place for rules and there's definitely a place for discipline. But that alone will not get you where you want to be. And just in case you're not sure if I'm right, Jesus puts this exact idea in even more memorable terms. In verse 21, He says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you can erect all kinds of walls in the ways of whatever it is you're coveting. But if you keep your heart on the other side of that wall, you are going to find a way under, through, or over that wall to get at whatever it is you want. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I cannot stress this enough. If you want to live a life that is free from chasing after one pipe dream after another, memorize Matthew 6.21 and ask the Lord, ask your Lord to bring this verse to your heart as soon as you see yourself starting to drift towards whatever you're coveting. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is why we need to learn, we need to trust Jesus to carry just enough. So if we read uh, Matthew 6, 19-21, what we see is Jesus is advising us against investing in toilet paper to make an umbrella in a rainstorm. It just ain't going to work, folks. And He tells you, don't bother with it. Instead, we need to value what we can keep forever, both in this life and into the next. And then, we need to cherish what can make you see. I love this. Verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, if the light coming in is dark, how great, how total is that darkness. Now, you all understand what Jesus is getting at here. It's it's not hard to understand His 
imagery, our eyes enable our bodies to move freely about the world without bashing our shins against something or grabbing a hot pan that's on the stove. Now, a spiritually alive heart does the same thing. It enables us to negotiate around the world without banging our shins on God's commandments or grabbing hot pans of Satan's temptation. But if our heart is spiritually dead, or if we're walking around like this without valuing Jesus, then we simply cannot avoid the traps that Satan sets for us. We can't. It won't happen. And that is why we must take the advice of Solomon. Keep your, li- keep your heart free. Jeez, sorry. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. Put a wall around it. You ever, sorry, time out here. You know, you know the, put a hedge of protection around me, Jesus. I always thought about that. A bunch of bushes, really? I want a 10-foot concrete wall. I want some razor wire around the top. None of these bushes. Come on. Hedge of protection. Sorry. Because whatever life you manage to live on earth, whatever way that you make it through this world, and, and however that translates into what comes next, and I trust that for most of us in this room, that will be heaven that life will come in the form, in the, in the shape of whatever shape your heart is in. Your heart is a vessel that assumes a bitter shape if you fill your heart with bitterness. Your heart assumes an empty shape when you fill your heart with mindless television. Your heart will assume a full shape when you fill your heart with serving others. And when we fill our heart with the knowledge of God, our hearts will be shaped by eternal life. This is simply a fact of life. This is just simply a fact of how things, how things are. That is why we must keep our heart with all vigilance. Because real life Eternal life, new life will not fit into any vessel except the heart that has been opened by the Holy Spirit instead of the spirit of this age. Again, you have to understand your heart is shaped by whatever you are trying to force in it day after day after day. But there's another truth. If I merely stopped there, I would say that's dangerously close to a lie. Because you have to understand grace. You have to understand the good news. The good news is that the shape of your heart, the shape that you have shaped your heart into all the way up to this point can be changed. 1 Corinthians 6.11, Paul writes to Corinthians, and such were some of you. He was talking about these people who had 
wandered away from God. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. No matter how much extra weight you have carried in your life up to this day, you now, my friends, can learn to get rid of that baggage and carry just enough. Grace, my friends. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Sin killing, grace enabling, joy sustaining gospel truth is ready for you right now. You can get rid of all the garbage that you put in that backpack that weighed way too much. And the way you do that is to preach into your hearts the good news because that is the only solution worth, tr- worth having. The answer to a wrong-shaped heart, the answer to a wrong valuing or treasuring is Christ. How do I know this? Because Jesus gives one of the most stunning promises ever in the world. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 he says, Come to me. Come to me. All you labor and are heavy laden. You have too many burdens on you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right now, friends, at this moment, not afterwards, not when you get home, not next week sometimes, but right now, ask your Lord to meet you where you are so that you can cast off extra weight so that you in this life and in the next can carry just enough. Ask your Lord to enable you to value the things that He values because that will be how He lightens your load. When you value fewer things, you will spend less mental and physical and spiritual energy on things that just simply cannot last. Now, all of you guys in this room have heard hundreds of sermons and it won't surprise you that I tell you how you go about doing this. You pray. And you spend time reading, devotionally reading God's Word. And you spend time in fellowship with other believers. You spend time in service outreach projects. Yes, I may be a broken record, but that's how we do it. This is what we call making disciple, making disciples. And your heart will change because God is gracious. What Jesus gives you and me to value, to treasure, will be enough for you to meet all your needs in this life and in the next. And that is why you can carry just enough. Now, I hope at least one of you is asking to yourself, if I am going to carry only just enough... I may have to let some stuff go. I may have to push some things off me. I may have to do something different. Of course, you're right. 
in that. You and I must do some trimming. You will need to prune some dead branches off your life that are bearing no fruit. But he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Carry just enough. You can value what you can keep forever. Cherish what can make you see. And then the third point that Jesus makes in his passage is love the master who loves you. 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. Notice he doesn't say, guys, it's going to be really tough. He doesn't say, man, you know, that, that one guy did it, but he was the only one. No one else can do it. No, you cannot serve both God and money. It is impossible. The master that Jesus is talking about in here is a slave owner. He's talking about a slave owner. You will be the slave of God or you will be slave of money. There is no, there's no other way about it. In fact, Peter speaks in the same language when he minces no words about saying that those who are overcome by sensual, sensual temptations are enslaved by those temptations. Okay, maybe money isn't what's going to enslave you, but your good feelings are, or your pride in thinking that you're an upright kind of guy, or whatever it is that you are bowing down to, in your attitudes and your actions, that is what will slave you, enslave you. Jesus, however, takes a step further than Peter. It isn't just sensual pleasures that enslave us. We are already slaves to someone, Jesus says. And as I said, that master is whatever we treasure. That might be a desire <clears throat> to merely look holy. I can see. Most of you have been coming to church for years and years and years now, and so you have a certain respectability, and that is what you are treasuring. That master might be to be above all the frivolous things that are below us. I confess, one of the, one of the things I take a little bit of pride in is when people say the name of some actor or actress, I take pride in the fact that I have no idea who they're talking about. And, and I will admit that. Um, but I don't, I don't want to be known as a person who knows who these people are. That master might be striving for the things that are above us. Striving to be a disciple-making disciple. See, where your aim is will determine where you are going. You are a slave according to Jesus. The question is, to whom do you belong? Now Jesus, in this particular passage, picks a particularly powerful little G God. Money. Now, I know you know what I'm about to say, but I just want you to hear this. Because hearing it sometimes help us, helps us to realize what's going on in our heart. Money acts like a God. We call our money the almighty dollar. We believe that money is everywhere. We think that everything is for sale or that anything can be bought. We pretend that money can make us live longer. 
or at least look like it. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm way past that. I understand that. Indeed, money demands our love. You must work endless hours to get more of me. Money demands our fear. You must fret endless hours on how to protect what you've got. And money demands your trust. You must seek endlessly to find ways to get money to quote-unquote work for you. Tell me I'm wrong. Is that not how money is treated in the culture around us? But listen, the dollar is not almighty. Ask Steve Jobs. Money is not everywhere. Look for it on a deathbed. Money can't buy everything. In fact, here's a test. Make a list of things that money cannot buy and you'll find a list of the most important things in life. Hope, trust, love, courage, wisdom. Those are all things that money cannot buy. If you thoughtfully examine the Old Testament, and you look at how both Israel and Israel's neighbors went about worshiping their idols. And then you look through the entire Bible and you look to see how God commands us to worship Him, you will find some significant similarities. Both God and our idols demand our love, our fear, and our trust. I put it on a chart. Oh, that chart, you didn't put a chart in there, did you? Oh, well, it's in your notes. Uh, it's a good thing I don't have my notes up here. But what you're going to see on your notes, in the back side, if you've got the notes, what you're going to see is there's two columns. One is worshiping God, and one is worshiping money. If we love God, we will get things that money can't buy. Goodness, truth, beauty. If we love money, we might get moth, rust, and thief fodder. Oh, there we go. There it is. Now, if we fear God, then what we are going to avoid is hell. And if we fear money, what we might avoid, notice there's no guarantee here, is poverty. By the way, for those who have lived in the Lord for a while, have you ever known anybody in poverty who loved Jesus and it made it look just amazing? I, I think God... Well, that's another sermon. If we trust the Lord, what we get, according to Paul in Romans, is we get love, joy, and peace in the Spirit. And if we trust money we might get the world. But whoever gets the world but loses his soul. You see, when what you are looking at is merely the God of money, and, and that's just one example. 
If you fear money, if you do everything you can to stay in a right relationship to money, you might get a life full of material riches. But when you need that money the most, when you absolutely have to have benefit from your God, when you're dying, money sprouts wings and flies away and it proves an absolute traitor. And that's why we need to ask ourselves, are the things that you are living for worth Christ dying for? In the end, the only things you can take with you are the things that you can fit in your heart. Hope, trust, love, courage, wisdom. So make sure you carry just enough. What is the solution? What is the solution to a heart that so often turns from the two treasures, true treasures, to the midst of the world? What, what, what do we do? I mean, let's be honest. We, we are all covetors. We all I, embrace idolatry of some kind or another. How do we get our hearts right? What principles must you and I apply this week as we choose how we'll, we'll invest our leisure time? Hopefully it doesn't surprise anybody in this room. It's the good news. It's the gospel. Treasure Jesus. Think about Jesus through His Word. Imagine yourself taking risks for the glory of God and the growth of His kingdom. Dwell on Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't treasure the world. Stop thinking about things that really don't matter. Stop imagining yourself being merely safe and secure. Stop dwelling on what other merely human people think about you. Now I told you over these, next, over these six weeks, I'm going to give you several principles. I'm going to give you questions to ask how you can go about living like this. How you can go about uh, investing your leisure time. And the first one I want to give you is train yourself to value the good news and Him who gave it. Am I valuing things rightly? These verses are in your notes. You can go back to them. And the second thing is train yourself to devalue things that just can't last. Is it true that Christ is preeminent? Is it true that Christ is most important in my heart? And when you are asking these questions, when you're considering these principles, you will be a long ways down the road of living the life you've always wanted. Let's pray. Lord, we have begun by asking big questions. And Lord, we have begun by considering weighty thoughts. God, I pray that You will enable us to trust Christ because He is the answer to all of our problems. Lord, help us look to Christ. Help us to consider Him as we are making decisions this week. And help us, Lord Jesus, to have a humble heart that is willing to allow You to work in us and through us for Your glory. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.